you know, faith is something that is tangible. And uh, I got one amen on that. I got three amens on that. All right. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Faith is something that can be stirred, according to the scripture. Faith is something that we can stir. Faith is something that must be lifted up. Faith is something that is functional. It works, the scripture tells us. And, and I, I don't know, I just get this sense that there is a faith working in you tonight. So I know that when you said you are ready to hear the word of God, to receive it, that you are, in fact, receiving the word of God. And that tonight it, it builds you, it encourages you, it teaches us, and it's, it's going to do something great in our lives. Listen, tonight I want to dive right in, and I want to just start off by simply making a statement. God is all about miracles. I'm going to say that again. God is all about miracles. God is still the wonder-working God. God is still the God who is able. God is still the one who has declared that his will is that you be in health, that you prosper in all things. God is the one who works the impossible in the midst of impossibilities, right? He does the possible. God is still the one who raises people from the dead. God is still the one that transforms families. God is still the one that heals uh, the broken heart. God is still the one that raises up cities. God is still the one that wants to do the great things that we see in his word. And I want to just state this, that you don't have to wait for your breakthroughs. You don't have to wait for your miracles. And I'm going to give you context for this. Because I know some of us, we're so, we're so biblically uh, rooted, and that's a good thing, but we contradict the Word of God with the Word of God, and we say, well, doesn't the Word of God say that we should wait upon the Lord? It does say that. But that word wait there in the Old Testament, when it talks about that, it's not talking about sitting and waiting. It's an active faith. It's an expectant faith. It's a faith that's operating according to that belief. And so... In the, in, in the scriptures, we have a moment where Jesus and the disciples were partaking of the Passover feast. It was right before Jesus was betrayed and then crucified. And I want to give you context for where we're going tonight because th- what they were literally doing was commemorating the miraculous fashion in which God delivered Israel from the hand of Egypt. Listen, they were remembering and celebrating a miracle. They were celebrating miracles. How God delivered the people of Israel by his hand and his hand alone. And during this feast, Jesus introduces an even greater miracle that was about to take place. God himself in the form of a man was speaking to them and telling them, listen, I am going to die a horrific death. To pay for the sin of the entire world and then I'm going to be raised to life after three days. I am going to come back. He was proving that he was God and he was proving that a man could raise to new life. Do you get this? Jesus came in the form of a man not to just become like us, but to prove that men could rise again too. That's great news. That's good news. You need to be praising God for that. And so get this. While the disciples were commemorating a miracle and while they were used to seeing Jesus do the miraculous over the last couple of years that they had spent with him, They were about to miss his greatest miracle of all. They were about to miss it. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. This happened right before the Passover. While they were heading to Jerusalem, Matthew 20, 17 starts off and says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Listen, he gave them all the details of what was about to happen. And then he announces the greatest miracle of all. He says, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. Listen, he literally laid out the details, the destination point to what was going to happen. And he was announcing to them and to every single person the way by which he would do all miraculous things in the lives of people. Tonight, I want to talk to you on the topic. 
I really feel, you know, this is one of those, this is one of those words where it, 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 you, you really got to dig into it. But I'm telling you that God has something specific for you, for me, for the body of Christ, whether you're here or you're online. Tonight I don't want to talk to you on the topic of mapping your miracle. I'm going to say that again, mapping your miracle. You know, a map is a powerful tool. A map is a powerful tool. I want you to think about this. A map is extremely powerful. A map gives you not only the destination point that you want to get to, right? Let's just say, for example, uh, Cheyenne and I don't know where that is. But if you want to get to this place called Cheyenne here, right, and you're coming all the way from here in Chicago, I want you to consider that if all you know is the destination point that you want to get to, but you don't look at the rest of the map, you'll never figure out how to get there. Does that make sense? You can't just look at the destination point. You have to look at the details. And so why do I share that with you? Leave that map up for a little bit real quick. Why do I share that with you? Because if you solely focus on the destination point without mapping out the route, you're going to miss how to get there. You'll never get there. You'll never get to your desired end. And the same is true about the miraculous work of God in our lives. Listen, the scripture tells us that we have been given an inheritance. It's not something that we will receive someday. You already have it. You already have it. I can't put it any more simple than that. You already have it. The scripture already tells us that we are co-laborers and joint heirs, the scripture says, with Christ Jesus. In other words, what is Jesus? What belongs to Jesus belongs to you. What is true of Jesus is true of you. Listen closely. The scripture teaches us this, right? The scripture tells us that because we have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, Romans chapter 5 says this. It says that we shall reign in life with Christ Jesus. Get this. Stop waiting for the sweet by and by when you get up there. Yes, there are treasures laid up there, but the earth has been given to men, the scripture says, so that you can reign in this life. So that you can walk in his blessing, so that you can be a blessing, so that you can walk in his anointing, so that you can exercise the authority given to you. It's, the, it's for that reason that after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus told the disciples, hey, you're going to walk in power. But before they were to walk in power, the scripture clearly tells us in Acts chapter, uh, chapter, chapter uh, 1, it tells us that for 40 days after he was resurrected, he taught the disciples about the kingdom. What do I want you to see? He gave them the destination point. This new life, this new way of living, this authority, this, the, the miracle, wonder-working power of God is available to you. That's the destination point. But the details are contained in the kingdom. There are keys in the kingdom. And so Jesus had spent the last three years prior to this moment sharing life with the disciples. He gave them the destination point. He taught, he, he, his life is a mirror image. Look at the Gospels. This isn't just the life of Jesus we're looking at. This is the life that's available to us. He modeled it. He modeled it. You can walk in miracles. You can walk in healing. You can be a blessing. You can, you can be one who disseminates the very word of God and it operates in power and demonstration. And so his life was a mirror image of the life that we can have, one with God's power, one with God's favor, one with, God, with God's blessing, one that exercises and releases God's authority. And so he was providing them the details, the details to the destination point as he walked among them, and they missed it. They missed it. I'm here to tell you tonight that God's word provides us keys that unlock the details laid up for us to see the miracles of God released, the answers of God given to our life, and the details on how to arrive at all that God has promised. But if we are to get to our destination point, we must pick up on the details in God's word 
that give us direction so that we can see this be a reality. I'm going to tell you right now, it is sad to say this, that people are waiting on miracles this day and age in the body of Christ. And we're looking to people for the miracles when God has given us the details on how to get there. The issue is never God when it comes to the miracle. The issue is never God when it comes to, man, but I've been waiting all these years. The issue is never God on how come it's not working for me. The issue is never God. The issue is always the one on the receiving end. Always. Every single time. God, his hand is not short. He is not a man that he should lie. If God's word says that his will is for you to prosper, believe it. It is true. If God's word declares that you are anointed and that you have the wisdom of God, it is true. If the word of God says that you can go into all the earth and that you could declare his word with power, that you can see people raised from the dead, that you can lay hands on the sick, it is true. If the word of God says that you are his plan A, that there is no plan B, he gave Jesus for you and you are his plan A on this earth to disseminate his kingdom, believe it, it is true. It is true. See, the Bible tells us that God is unchanging, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that true? Do you believe that? That's what the scripture says. So if that is true, it stands to reason then that if God is unchanging, so is his nature. So is his character, so are his ways, and so is his word. Why do I share that with you? Because the path to all miracles is the same. I'm going to show you that. The path to all miracles is the same. Now, the miracles may differ. The, the fruition of it may differ. But the path to them all is the same. And I want us to look to the scriptures for context. I want you to see that through this miracle that we're going to examine, it provides us clues. It gives us insight, a roadmap on how we see the wonder-working power of God in our lives. And I don't know about you, but it is about time that the people of God start walking in this. It is your God-given right. Get this. Jesus paid too high a price for us to live lower than what the word of God says. Do you believe that? Come on and give God some praise. Come on. So... Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 35 and read on from there. It says, that day when evening came, he, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, let's what? Go over to the Right? Now watch this. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along and just as he was, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, where was Jesus? Jesus was in the? He was in the stern. Come on, you got to participate with me here. Faith works. Let's work together. Jesus was where? And what was he doing? Sleeping. Sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The scripture says he got up and he did what? He rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, what? Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you what? So afraid. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no what? Faith. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Get this. Jesus had just finished teaching the masses on principles of the kingdom before he got into this boat. You got to go study this on your own time. He had, just been, he had just finished teaching people about the kingdom. He had just finished healing many people and delivering many. And then suddenly he switched gears. And he says, let's go to the other side. 
Let's go to the other side. And the question is, what was on the other side? Why did they have to go to the other side? Why all of a sudden did Jesus have to leave all these people whom he has been teaching? Why did he have to leave these people who most likely there were people who still needed deliverance among them? Why did he have to leave them? Why did they have to go from there to go to the other side? And if you study this chronologically in the, in the Gospels, what you'll find is that on the other side there was a man who was possessed by demons. This man was demonically oppressed for years. And the scripture says that the, the demons that racked this man's life were so many, there were thousands of them. It was a legion of them. There were so many of them that this man, they, the people tried to restrain him and they couldn't. They put chains on him and he broke them. This man would walk around naked, howling, cutting himself, terrorizing this city, these people. And these people lived in fear. And so notice that the scripture tells us that they had to go to the other side, which I submit to you is important. Because there was more than a demonically possessed man on the other side. On the other side was a miracle in waiting. On the other side was freedom waiting to be released. On the other side was peace waiting to be restored. On the other side was restoration and, and, and change and transformation to an entire city of people. And so Jesus said, we have to go to the other side. And the route that he had the disciples take to get to this miracle provides us details on how to arrive at the destination point of freedom, of peace, of restoration, and God's miracle working power. I am telling you that there is a manner of life to live that is equivalent to following the details on a map that gets us to the destination point. Yes, I'm telling you that you in partnership with God can map your miracle. Listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can make your miracle happen. What I am telling you is that the miracle has already been provided. And you can arrive at that destination point if you will follow what the word of God gives us by way of example. And many more things that the scriptures say. I don't have time to dig into all this. And so what does this route teach us? And the first thing that it teaches us is that you and I must be willing to go to the other side. We must be willing to go to the other side. You must be willing to go to the other side. Say that to somebody. You must be willing... To go to the other side. Tell somebody else. I must be willing to go to the other side. You have to be willing to go to the other side. Listen, one of the main reasons why we can miss the miracle working power of God is because we are unwilling to break away from the very things that keep us from, take a step, from taking a step out toward the other side. Your miracle is always before you. Your miracle is always in waiting. The question is, are you willing to leave where you are in your understanding? Are you willing to leave your past experience? Are you willing to leave your stinking thinking? Are you willing to leave your comfort in your problems? Are you willing to leave what has become normal and acceptable to you? Are you willing to, to step out? Do you dare to believe God and say, enough is enough here. I'm going to the other side. You don't have to settle for addiction. You don't have to settle for sickness. You don't have to believe your past history is your future uh, in store. You do not have to settle for, for being stuck. You do not. Notice that the scriptures tell us that Jesus commanded the disciples. He didn't suggest to them, hey, you think maybe it's a good idea? Maybe, should we go to the other side? No. He didn't suggest it. And I submit to you that God does not suggest to you and I that we should be waiting for what he's already given us. I'm telling you right now, it's time to go to the other side. It's time to go somewhere. And I, and I want you to consider this. The miracle on the other side would never have taken place if they did not take the next step. I want you to consider from the scriptures what that was. Mark 4.36, the first half says this, leaving what? 
the crowd where? Behind. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Listen closely. Listen closely. You, you cannot miss this. Sometimes the greatest miracle that God has before you, in order to get there, you have to be willing to let go of whatever it is that you are with or is behind you. It didn't work last time. Leave it. You didn't work last time. Your understanding did not work last time. Your belief did not work last time because it wasn't belief. Ouch. Everybody say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. Thank you. But I'm telling you whether it, if it bothered you, well, the truth shall set you free. I love you too much to not stand here and lie to you. I'm giving you what the word of God reveals. And listen, Jesus did some amazing things among the crowd. He did some amazing things. So let me talk to you a little bit about leaving what's behind you. Right? Sometimes what we do is, get this, Jesus leaves the crowd. In other words, what was done there was done. The miracles there are done. The work of God there is done. Jesus is moving on. But sometimes we want to stay where Jesus worked in the past. Oh, but he did it last time this way, so he's got to do it this way again. Really? Well, I, last time I checked, the throne of God is up there, not here with us. We, 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 don't, we, we don't sit on that throne. Right? So we limit God. You can't put God in a box labeled yesterday's miracle because you expect him to do it the same way today. God says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Whatever you think God is going to do, he's going to trump that. He's going to go beyond that. We cannot put God in a box. And sometimes to get to the miracle that God has before us, we also have to let go of the crowd that we're among. We have to let go of the opinions of people. Can I tell you that when it comes to hearing God, stop consulting men. Now listen, there is wisdom in counsel. But if the wisdom that they give you does not align itself with the revealed word of God, it's not wisdom at all. I say this with all due respect. It is complete stupidity. It is wrong. It is ungodly. It's wrong. It's wrong. And, and we have to be very careful because we have to rightly divide the word of truth. If we're going to look at what the scripture declares is now ours, stop looking at what the Old Testament says. Because if you just look at what the Old Testament says, that's based upon behavior and adherence to laws. According to the New Testament, what we receive is based on the covenant that God made between himself and Jesus. In other words, we are recipients of what Jesus made available. It's not based on what you bring to the table. Is that okay? That's true. That's true. That is true. The scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us can boast. But here's the thing about that word saved. It's not just talking about the forgiveness of sin. It's the Greek word sozo. It talks about prosperity. It talks about peace. It talks about well-being. It talks about health. It talks about provision. It talks about happiness. It talks about your purpose. So we understand that everything we receive is not by the work of our hands. And so... Sometimes you really have to take a moment to consider who am I amongst this, who's this crowd amongst me? What's crowding my life? And is the crowd advancing the voice of God or someone else? If it's not pointing you to the true and living word of God, it is not the voice of God. I don't care what psychology, I don't care what author, I don't care what person, I don't care their experience. Their experience does not trump the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. 
It does not. And so it is for this reason that Galatians 5.1 tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Get this. You are free people. Free people are not called to go back. Stop going back. Simply put, we must be willing to do whatever it takes to go to the other side. Whether that means cutting some people loose, cut them. Cut them. Because otherwise you're the only one bleeding out. Cut them loose. If it means shutting down whatever source of distraction it is, cut it out. Shut it down. If it means taking time to go deeper into God's word and prayer for direction, do that. Listen. We have to take from the example of this guy, uh, uh, Jacob. This guy would not let go of the angel of the Lord. He would not let go. He said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. I'm not letting you go till I receive what you said is mine. I can't let go. You have to be that stubborn with your faith and say, God, you said it. I believe it. I'm not letting go. I put my trust in you. My hope is completely in you. And that's it. That's it. Sometimes it means leaving a good situation for a God situation. It could be good, but is it God? Is it God? Just because it feels good doesn't mean that it's God. How do you know if it's God? Does the word of God testify to it? Does that decision bring you peace that is rooted in the truth in God's word? Not peace because it just feels good, it sounds good, it looks good, everybody else is doing it. That should never be the basis by which we make decisions. Never. Okay? The second point that I want to leave you about this, these details, this route to mapping your miracles is that the path to your miracle is guaranteed. It is guaranteed, but there will be storms along the way. There are going to be storms along the way. And you know why we have to, we have to really chew on that? Because resistance is always going to show up when you are following after God. But sometimes we put so much credence... And we validate the challenges that we give up on the promise. We let go. We detour. We create our own path. And sometimes it's a highway to hell. Wake up. Can't go there. Can't go there. See, the scripture states that their boat was nearly swamped in the middle of this storm. And in the Greek, here's what it literally says. It was nearly full of water. In other words, the threat of them sinking was real. It was present. The boat was nearly full. But you see, there's a greater truth that was at work here. The scripture clearly tells us that Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping, and he he was laying his head on a pillow. Why is that important? Because you have to understand the impossibility of what the the scripture says according to natural law and the rationale of men. Do you know that in boats, the first part to usually sink is the stern? Do you know why? Because the stern is at the back of the boat, but it also has the lowest point in the boat. And according to natural law and how boats sink, wherever the water can accumulate the quickest and at the lowest point, that's the point that's going to go down first. So get this. The Bible tells us that the boat was nearly full of water. But get who, guess who was at the lowest point of the boat? Jesus is in the place That's supposed to go down first. The boat should have sunk because because it was already nearly full of water. But the presence of Christ in your life defies the laws of physics. The presence of Christ in your life 
defies the judgments and rationale of men. The presence of Jesus Christ in your life defies the details to your circumstances. Listen, you and I serve a risen Christ. And the scripture says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Do you know why you keep getting up? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can't sink. You can't. You can't. Let me prove you from scripture. Because I'm not one of those guys that's just going to hype you up. You got to look at the word of God. You have to look at the word of God. Isaiah 43, 2 says this, when you go through deep waters, I will be what? With you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will what? Not drown. Come on, you need to declare that. You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not what? Be burned up. The flames will not what? Consume you. Listen, you will face storms. Problems will come crashing in all around you. It may feel like you're going under, but because God is with you, you have the guarantee that you will always be lifted up. I was, uh, in my, my personal time of just reflection in the word, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Psalms these days, and I was reading Psalm uh, 9, Psalm 8. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 8? Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Yes, Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, David says, when I consider the skies and the works of your hands, he says, when I look at the moon and the stars, in essence what he's saying, when I consider the vastness, the intricate, the unique work of your hands, the powerful work of your hands, do you get that the scripture says, God reveals in Job to this knucklehead Job, he says, where were you when I told the ocean you can only go this far? Where were you when I created the storehouse where snow is at? Where, 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 did you tell all creation its limits? Did you set those things in motion? And then, he, and then God says to Job, now I'm going to speak and you need to be quiet. At the end of that, that conversation between God and Job, Job says this. He says, Lord, you're right, and I'm wrong, and I have nothing else to say. What you say is true. Why do I share that with you? Because I, I, we need to consider this, that God himself has spoken and declared that he will lift us up. Back to Psalm 8. David then says this. He says, what is man? He says, what am I? What are we? That you are mindful of us. That you think about us. I want you to see this. That God cares for you. He's always cared for you. Get this. He's always been working in your life. Always. He is working right now. But you see, we can't fall for the deception of, but I don't feel it. And when is it going to happen? Consider where your heart really is. Consider where your heart really is. Which leads me to my next point. A detail on this map to your miracle. When you know God cares for your needs, you have no need to worry about your cares. When you know God cares for your needs, you have no need to worry about your cares. Man, listen. God doesn't just care about you. God cares for you. He is caring for you. 
And oftentimes, we give that glory and that honor to an employer. We give that glory and that honor to a paycheck, to the proceeds of a sale, to the things that we amass through the work of our hands, and we forget that God is the one that has given us the power to create wealth. We forget that. It is God who cares for us. Sometimes when faced with the overwhelming circumstances of life, our natural tendency is to go into survival mode. (laughs) It's the point where we try to care for the things that God cares best for. Listen, things got so bad for the disciples. For the disciples. Because the boat wasn't going to sink. We know that already. We read the story. We read the details to this, to this factual occurrence. So the things got so bad for the disciples that they actually came to the point of questioning, God, do you care about what we're going through? Like, Jesus, do you, don't you even care that we're about to die? I want you to think about this. Think about this. They believed that they were more concerned about the situation than Jesus was. You know what that's called? Pride. Whenever you start to question, God, do you really care? God, are you actually working? That's pride. Let me tell you why. Because you just unseated God from his throne. Not that you could. But you literally just took your eyes off of the throne of God and you just literally began to engage in idolatry. You know why? Because you're taking the focus off of God's care for you and you're more concerned with what you think you need and your own care. You're taking it out of God's hands. That's idolatry. That is ungodly. That is wrong. That is a recipe for disaster. So it's pride. And I'm just going to give you this scripture. I'm not even going to touch on it. Listen, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's who? Mighty hand, that he may do what? Lift you up in due time. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me just make this statement because it's so important. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. When we truly honor God and wholeheartedly believe in him, we will humble ourselves before him and trust him no matter what the cares are of life. You know why? Because we know and understand that we have a promise that he will lift us up. Get this, in due time. And that literally means this, in the appropriate season. Now let me tell you where we get out of whack. Some of us, may be operating out of season. Let me tell you what I mean. You've cast your care upon the Lord. You've cast it on him. You've you've put it before him. But then you picked it right back up because you trust more in working it out on your own than allowing God to take care of you. You pray about it, but then you go make it happen. And guess what? You get it. But it adds more stress. It becomes a greater bill. It adds more pressure. Right? And it, and it leads us to end up in the rat race where I got to get more because now I need more. Because now I got to have more. Listen closely. God didn't do that. You prayed about it, but God didn't, that God didn't give you that. You made that happen. And why do I say that? You're operating out of season. Operating out of season. See, because of God's great love for us, we can trust that He cares and He's taking care of it on our behalf. But we have to trust the process of the season. I don't care how much you may want 80 degree weather to get here, you and I cannot make it happen. You can will it. You can pray all you want on it. You can 
talk to the skies and the sun and the moon and the stars and all that. Can't make it happen. Why? Because it happens in its due season. In the same way, we cannot make things happen outside of their season. You know how you stay in season at all times? Trust God. Continue to be faithful in doing what the word of God tells you. Trust the process. The last point I want to leave you with here tonight is this. It's that, and this is the, the final detail that I want to leave you. There's so much more I could say, but I just want to point you to these very, uh, the, these encompassing details to, to this map. You can't walk by faith if you're still crippled by fear. Can't do it. Can't do it. The scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now let me just be very clear because some of you are still rebuking a spirit of fear. And that's not what the scripture is saying at all. The scripture says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what is it telling us? He's saying, I didn't place in this new creation that you are fear. Fear is not a part of your makeup. He says, but here is what is a part of your makeup. Power, love, and a sound mind. The ability to soundly and rightly discern and operate according to the word. To think with the mind of Christ that is yours. To understand things and perceive how to, how, how to approach it according to the kingdom. But you see, after calming the storm... We see that the storm that was raging wasn't the one around them. It was the one within them. It was in their hearts. And how do we know that? Because Jesus said this to them. Why are you so afraid? Why are you afraid? Why? Why are you afraid about this storm? Why are you afraid about these details? Why are you afraid about what you just saw? Why, why are you afraid? Why are you still afraid? And I really feel like this is a holy moment, a God encounter moment. That the Lord is saying to some of us, why are you still afraid? Why are you still doubting? Why are you still worrying? You know, it's easy to sing the song, I believe you're a wonder-working God, you're a wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, you're too good to not believe. It's easy to say it. But it's about time we start living it. Because God is a miracle-working God, a wonder-working God. He's too good to doubt. He's too good to question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Listen, fear will always cut us off at the knees of our faith. You know what fear does? It provides us enough false evidence that appears real. Just enough so that we can rob ourselves of God's peace. Just enough so that we can stop ourselves from walking out our trust in God. Fear will serve as the catalyst for any believer that takes their eyes off God. It will be the catalyst for them to miss what is right at the other side. I want you to remember this the next time you put your wholehearted faith in God and you believe and then you stop yourself. And start to doubt. I want you to remember this. It's on the other side of your doubt. It's on the other side of your worry. It's on the other side of your cares that are entangling you. It's on the other side of that. I want to leave you with this. I wasn't sure that I was going to share this. I don't know that I, I didn't want to end on this note, but I'm, I'm going to because I just feel that release to do so. 
About two and a half years ago, at the very beginning of this whole pandemic situation, nobody knew what was going on. We didn't even know there was, something was going on. But I remember one day we got a call. I don't know if we were in the office or something. We, we were somewhere. Maybe we were home, day off or something. But we got a call from, some friend, from a friend. And this friend says, says to us, actually it was his daughter who called. She called my wife or reached out on social media or something. And whatever, we got in touch and spoke to, spoke to the husband. And, and the situation was my wife is in the hospital. And they're saying, there's nothing else we can do. They're saying they're going to pull the plug. That, that it's time to pull the plug. And they, they're telling us, are we going to make the decision? And I said to this, this friend of ours, how can we help you? What can we do at this moment? How can we be supportive? He says, would you come to the hospital and pray? Without, it wasn't even a thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so while we're on the way over there, I was real quiet in the car. I was talking to the Lord, but I was also meditating on the scriptures. And I was meditating on the fact that the scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And that we have the right to be raised to new life. I was meditating on the fact that the scripture says that God told Ezekiel, you speak to those dry bones and you tell them to get up. And that a new heart was given to them in flesh. And a massive, mighty, holy army rose up. And I, I just started meditating on, on, on the words of Jesus where he said, Just believe in me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I know your brother's been in, in the tomb for four days and he stinks. But I'm telling you that it's possible with me. So I'm meditating on all this. And I really felt right here in my knower... The Holy Spirit just saying to me, speak to her spirit. Speak to the new creation that she is in Christ. So we get there and they say, only one person's allowed upstairs. So it's like, I can't even go with the husband and with the daughter and all that. So finally, long story short, I get the opportunity. I go up and I walk into this room and she's, you know, it's, it's like a, a room that's sealed off, all these curtains and all this stuff. And I walk in there, and there's a nurse there. And I just begin to speak to this, this friend of ours, this woman. And I call her by name, and I just begin to tell her, I know that you are still there. I know that there is life in you because you have the same life. You have the life of Jesus. You are a child of God. And I said to her, I just want to remind you what the scriptures say. And I'm not worried about if she's responding, whatever. And you got to understand how severe the situation was. She wasn't breathing on her own. And they were saying that there was no brain activity. Like, they said, she's a vegetable. She's done. So I'm speaking to her, and I am telling her, I am affirming her faith. Scripture says that we should fan into flame the gift that we've received. So I was just blowing speaking the word, declaring what the word says, encouraging her. And I said, and because the word of God says this, now I'll pray for you. And I said to her, you join your faith to the word of God and let God do what he does best. So I pray. And as I'm praying this, it wasn't just the nurse who was in the room. Now another nurse came in. And as I'm praying, I put my hands on her at that point, and I begin to pray for her. And all of a sudden, she begins to twitch. And there's movement in her hands, and the nurse is like, she's like shocked. So I pray, and then I walked out the room. I left. I'm not worrying about it. I prayed, I walk out the room. I go out, I go downstairs, I speak to the husband, I speak to the daughter. I encourage their faith. I tell them what happened. I, I just encourage their faith. We leave. Now, for, for, for most people, at that point, they would be discouraged. Nothing happened. I thought the Bible says that we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I didn't see anything. It didn't work. I wasn't worried about it. Left. About two hours later, we get a call. 
Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, she woke up. She's out of the coma. She's talking. She's smiling. They're crying, all this other stuff. And I'm like, praise God. And then she passed. I know, someone's like, what happened? It didn't work. Here's what we found out after, the, after it was all said and done. When we sat down, we went to spend a day with the family and, you know, just, just encourage them and just be with them. They were good friends of ours. The husband says to us, our friend, he says, she woke up. She was just so overjoyed. And I, I just, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I was just so excited. And she began to give me details and passwords on everything. And then she began to tell me how she wanted her funeral. I want you to see something. The issue wasn't God. The issue was faith. The issue was fear. I'm telling you right now. I've seen... What doctors say is the dead come to life. I have nothing to do with it. None of us ever do. God is faithful and true. But I want you to see that to map your miracle, you cannot, faith and fear cannot coexist. Because fear, when we empower it, cancels the promise. It doesn't cancel the promise that God made. It cancels our ability to receive it. But I'm telling you right now tonight as we close, it's time that we follow the map. It's time that you do away with whatever that fear is. Whatever the lies are. I like the way the, the scripture puts it. Let God be true. And every man alive. Receive your miracle today. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.